0: What's up, everybody? Uh, Very special episode today, episode 100. It is episode 100 of Seeking Wisdom. And we thought we'd do something a little bit different. DC and I have a ton of good stuff coming up for you. We got some awesome new guests, some interviews coming up. Uh, and we're gonna go behind the scenes on a little, uh, a, a couple different things that we do here at Drift, including like how to say no to meetings. I think that's the next episode that we're gonna do. But for this episode, uh, episode 100, we had our homie Patrick, who's been helping us out with some production and community behind the scenes. Um, he was like, "Hey, what if I grabbed you know ten like the ten best episodes of Seeking Wisdom, mash them all up into a clip, make it about a hundred minutes long for episode 100." And I was like, love it. That's an awesome idea. So that's what we have today. Uh, We'll put everything in the show notes for all the timestamps and clips that we reference. But this is a special episode of Seeking Wisdom in honor of episode number 100. We got lots of growing and, and other stuff to do. So 100 is just the beginning. Thank you all for the support. We appreciate it. We love doing this podcast every single week. Uh, so let's get to it. I'll stop rant. I'll stop ranting. Here is uh, roughly a hundred minutes of highlights from Seeking Wisdom. Uh, and if we miss one of your favorite episodes, tweet at me at Dave Gearhart at DCancel and let us know what you wish you heard. Here it is. All right. All right. I'm ready. If you're ready, we're ready. we this is where everything is set up. we're rolling up. Everything okay. is looking nice. All right. I'm gonna turn our levels down a little bit because these are jacked up. Because these mics are better.
1: Are we back. Yeah, we're back. Damn. I so, miss you guys.
0: I want you to do the intro because we had a we had another guest. We had another visitor here for lunch at.
1: Drift. We keep bringing the heat, bringing yeah. more guests.
0: People said they love the inside look, like they felt like they were hanging out with us having lunch in the office, which is awesome.
1: That that's the point. That's the whole theme. That's the whole feeling we want for seeking wisdom. Feel like you're here with us, right. hanging with us. Right. And so we're going to do more of these things. Luckily, we have some some cool friends, some cool people we know that we can uh, talk into, bringing them in and sharing what they know with you guys. Mm-hmm. I think the way it started was uh, we were having these conversations in the office, and if anyone visits Drift, uh, and we've had a number of people visit who listen to the podcast, and they they listen to the two of us talk, and they're like, wait, that's just a podcast. Uh, this <laughs> is the only difference? We were just different. having this
0: conversation 10 minutes ago. Or... Yeah,
1: so we were having these conversations, and, uh, and I think I told you at some point that I was thinking of recording a podcast. I was recording some of these conversations, yeah. and then you pulled me into a room one day to try to make this into a podcast. Okay. And the context is, DG used to he had his own podcast. That's I how we did. met. Yep. Yeah. And uh, and he was doing podcasts at HubSpot before that.
0: Yeah. So if you've listened to the podcast, which a lot of you have, you know that DC doesn't really remember anything. So I'll tell you what actually happened. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's partial. That's partially true. But the cool thing was, I remember talking to you during the. Inter- um, so I had this podcast, Tech and Boston I did on the side, and that's when I interviewed you, and that's when we met. I was like, this this guy's really mysterious, but like I kinda can get along, I kinda can get with what he's saying. Um, and then I found out you guys were hiring a marketing person. That's how I ended up working at Drift. But in the interview process, you said to me, You're like, I've always you're like, oh it's cool you do this podcast thing, I've always wanted to do a podcast. I was like, oh really? I was like, what is what is it about? And you're like, I don't know what it's gonna be about, but I know the title. <laughs> Yeah, he said, I know it's going to be called Seeking Wisdom. That's true. And so uh, we had, it was probably like three or four months into doing marketing at Drift, one of our advisors, Heaton Shaw, who's I mean, he's a lot of followers on Twitter, if you're on Twitter, a mm-hmm. um, uh, serial founder, done a bunch of companies, but he said to me, he's like you're missing, you're, you're, he's like, you're fucking up right now. I'm like, why? He's like, you need to be putting DC out there and promoting his stuff. I was like, okay. He's a CEO, he's super busy, doesn't answer his email. I can't get him That's to true. respond to anything. Yeah. How am I ever going to get him? And like, and the default form of content for most people is like, oh, he's going to write. Mm-hmm. And so I remember thinking, like, there's no way I'm ever going to get you. And and this isn't just you. Like, this is every you know exec or founder entrepreneur. Like, there just aren't enough hours in the day for you to sit down and write a blog post. But like every night, you would send me something on Slack, and I'd just be like, damn, this would be a killer blog post. Or text me, you know, at six in the morning about something crazy. I was like, what can we do with this? So oh shit, maybe we should do this podcast and get you an audio format, so then you can just kind of go. Yeah.
1: Right. Do you want to know the secret? What's the secret? I haven't told you the secret. What before? What? So when I met you, Uh-oh. so Dave interviewed me for his podcast. And so my secret plan was when when Dave came back and wanted to work at Drift, which is a whole nother episode, we should do that. We that should episode. do that. That, that was fun. crazy.
0: Yeah. Um, I thought he, he wasn't gonna give me an offer until I came back from my honeymoon, and I said, I'm not leaving until I get this. Then I went on my honeymoon. Yeah, and, and Leah, Leah will tell
1: me today she's like thank god you weren't working on a honeymoon I couldn't do what you looking at your phone the whole time <laughs> so he came in and he said uh, we did this interview on, the, on his podcast and then uh, he came back and said he wanted to work at Drift and he came in and we were like I don't know we're going to hire someone in marketing soon but we didn't know when and, uh, and I said go on your honeymoon we'll talk after you get back from your honeymoon and then he texted me or called me and he said no I said no and I, said, what? Yeah. and I said why? And he said, and he said I'm coming right over. And he comes over. He was just across the street, and says I'm not, I'm not <laughs> leaving until I have an seven offer. Yards, seven yeah. yard walk. <laughs> because I know what's going to happen. You're going to go. I'm going to go on my honeymoon. You're going to hire someone else. Yep. And uh, it was amazing, the most amazing experience. Wow. But here's the secret that you didn't know. You do remember things. That's incredible. I'm like I got chills right now. I feel, <laughs> you remember that. So the secret was when I met you, and we were doing the podcast, and then you, know, you were doing the growth show before that. I thought, oh, okay, Dave's going to come here, we're going to do a podcast, but I'm not going to tell him that we're going to do a podcast, because mm-hmm. if I tell him that I, wanna, I want him on the team to do a podcast, then he's not going to want to do a podcast, because no. that's just what he did before, totally. and he wants to do something new, so I'm going to lure him in, and, and make it seem like it's his idea to do the podcast. That is the secret. I need a minute. Yeah. <laughs> So that's, that's a secret move. That's that's crazy. That's, that's uh, called three D
0: chess. That's called three D chess. That's um, that's crazy because there's so many things that we've talked on this podcast about in hiring. Yes. Right. Like, so the traditional thing would have been like, oh, he's done podcast
1: before, let's hire him to do a podcast. Totally. So I went the other way. I went the next And I said, no, I'm not going to bring that up. I'm going to bring up everything else because that's going to be something new and different for you. And then I'm going to plant enough things that eventually you just say, let's just do a podcast. And we did. And we did. Damn,
0: that's crazy. I had no idea. That's pretty good. Evil. Evil genius.
1: Evil genius. genius.
0: We kind of live in this world where everybody wants to be smarter and more productive. But, um, you know, whether you want to be a better cook, maybe you want to be a better marketer. Maybe you want to be a better CEO. We Everybody has this urge kind of to be smarter. Um, but you've kind of noticed this thing all the time where like, you know, the average, from the average Joe to the Ivy League NBA, people just kind of stop learning after they get out of school. Like you've, you've noticed this over and over. Like people just, once you leave school, learning is done.
1: Yeah, this is the thing that I noticed that happens the most. And I think this is the thing that you can use as, you know, kind of your secret weapon uh, to beat everyone around you. And uh, that is to continue to learn.
0: And like people like, you know, Elon Musk, Warren Buffett, they get credit for being these really smart guys, as they should. But a lot of people don't know the thing that they don't credit get credit for is that behind the scenes, they're always learning.
1: Yeah, I think that's the hidden secret for all those guys, whether it's Gates or Buffett or Musk, or any of the famous people that uh, you think of as, uh, as inspiration, what their secret is, is that those guys are reading more than anyone else.
0: Then the the whole thing is they just become like these learning machines, just learning from other people. And you've said this, uh, you know, at least to me, a bunch of times. You're like the only shortcut. People always say, you know, this is your fifth company. Like, what's your hack? What's your shortcut? And you always say that your only shortcut is just learning.
1: That's it. Every That's the one thing that pisses me off and gets me frustrated is uh, when people are always asking for hacks and tricks and shortcuts. And uh, and I get it. You know, we all want to get there faster, but. The only shortcut that I've ever found is continuous learning. And there's lots of ways to do that, whether it's through mentors, whether it's through friends, whether it's through experiences. But I found the most efficient and the highest ROI comes when you lean on books as the way to learn.
0: All right. So this is funny because everybody wants this like we live in this world of hacks, right? And you're sitting here in 2016 telling people that they need to read more read more books
1: (laughs) yeah read more books forget about reading about posts about hacks about hacks meta posts right posts about hacks about other hacks the real hack is just read books and learn
0: so the 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 secret sauce is like these guys have all become these learning machines Mm -hmm. and the reason they become learning machines is because they put in the work they do the reading um but like i want to the focus of this today is kind of give some people advice for reading more, right? The common, somebody's going to say, okay, yeah, I to David's podcast. He told me to read more. I'm busy. I don't have time. Yep, everyone's time busy. I'm
1: busy. Uh, everyone's busy. I get it. I think you you need to prioritize reading. And I think, you know, I have a little system that I use personally to get more reading done.
0: All right. So let's start with how, I want to start with like, when, maybe when you actually read. So let's, yeah. we'll talk about the the ways you read after. But when do you make time? Like you're a CEO, you have a wife, you have kids, you work long hours, you got to put in the work at home and the office. Yep. There's minimal time for you to, when do you actually get your reading done? Do you have a, just a spot that you...
1: Yeah, most of my reading happens early in the morning. So I get up at uh, around 5 a.m. each day and uh, and I do a couple of things, but uh, the mo- one of the most important things that I do before starting my day, before touching the computer, before touching the, uh, my phone and before even my kids and wife wake up is to sit down and read
0: why do you why can't you touch a device is it if you touch the phone and touch the computer then you're you're gone
1: yeah uh, for <laughs> the me train the, is gone exactly no, the, the second i touch a computer or a phone then my mind is racing elsewhere and part of my morning kind of ritual or practice is to do yoga and to uh, kind of really be intentional about my time and part of that part of those intentions are to sit down and read
0: all right, so for you it works in the morning, but maybe like the bigger takeaway for most people is doesn't have to be in the morning. It's just is it just kind of you have this dedicated time? You know, this is my time.
1: Yeah, just based on my schedule because I'm always running around and kids and startup and this and that. The most consistent time I can find is uh, in early in the morning. I'd say for other people that I talk to for them it's you know riding the T riding the train for others it's doing audiobooks in cars for others it's kind of late night before bed reading everyone's got something that works for them what's worked for me is early mornings
0: but the other thing is that you you don't have to make it this like, reading doesn't have to be this hour this marathon thing right oh, no. It can be 15 yeah. to 30 minutes It's yeah. just
1: most most mornings i'm reading 15 20 minutes is all I need to read. Sometimes I go longer than that, but if I read 15 minutes, I'm happy.
0: What is it that's so good about a book? Is it just like somebody, you're able to learn from somebody who has spent hours and hours and hours and months writing a book? Yeah. You just extend kind of your lifetime a little bit by reading that.
1: Yeah, so the why books versus kind of like articles and posts and stuff like that, I think it's just like, it's more considered. And uh, And then there's... There are millions of books, so I will not say like all books are great, but like uh, usually the stuff that I'm reading, the stuff that most people are reading are things that have been recommended and have kind of stood the test of time, whether that uh, amount of time is a year or five years or 10 years or 50 years, like they've stood the test of time. And so the stuff that keeps coming back and bubbling back up is worth kind of having in that format.
0: One of the pushbacks that a lot of people say about reading is they read 20 pages and it's just boring. And they're done.
1: Yeah, I used to make this mistake all the time, which is um, I used to think like buying a book was this big thing. When again, in reality, you're spending between eight to 15 bucks on average for any book that you buy. And so but I I created this big source of anxiety for myself and said, oh, I, I bought this book. I'm bored after 20 pages. I must read this book. I got to finish it. I got to read the, you know, the covers. I need to read the table of contents. I need to read the intro or the epilogue. Like I re- need to read every single piece of it. And uh, what I figured out is one, you need to give yourself permission to not finish books. Right? There's certain books that you don't, you don't have to waste your time finishing. And uh, you may come back to someday and want to read again, right? Today might not be the right time to read this book. And, and all you need to do to make a book worthwhile is to take one lesson out of the book if you can learn one thing that you didn't know before uh, from reading this book that is eight dollars well spent that is you know that is eight lottery tickets right there that
0: was i was gonna i wanted to remind you to say that that was that's been the best lesson which is you don't have to get caught up in trying to comprehend every you know all 300 pages and have 40 takeaways and then write a five-page paper on it, you said, if you can pull out one thing from a book, then that book was worth the eight to 10
1: oh, bucks. Oh, absolutely. Right? I've taken many classes in school that I couldn't take one thing out of. Uh, and so just think, I was talking to someone the other day on our team, and uh, hey, Ali, and uh, he read a Managing Oneself, a book that I love by Peter Drucker. It's a small book. It costs like six bucks. And he said uh, he loved it. He enjoyed it. And he said, like, I really took away this one lesson from it. And I said, "That's all you needed. You just had the highest return on investment on Six Bucks, right? That you will ever have, right? You have one thing that is he has implemented and is like totally changing the way that he works. It
0: also helps you read faster, too. You're yeah. not you're not stressed out about like every little single detail. Yeah,
1: reading a book is not memorizing a book, right? And uh, with most books that matter, I end up reading them two, three. I've read some books four, or five times, and the reason for that is that You have to be in the right context to get the right lesson out of each book. And so the first time you read it, you're coming into it with one...
2: We we talk a lot about trying to think from first principles. Because I I think um, starting a company or being an investor... Has a lot of scaffolding that's been built up around it over the years which is useful because in a lot of cases that can help you shortcut to an answer as opposed to have to doing everything from first principles um but i think for us when we invest in a new company we're trying to only invest in what we would call sort of fundamental companies meaning they have a chance to be independent for the next few decades right like they have a chance to completely define a category and dominate that category and show the world something that the world didn't know before they existed And for those companies, a lot of that scaffolding doesn't really matter because, by definition, that scaffolding is conventional wisdom. And conventional wisdom builds conventional companies. And so we just try to go back to first principles, like, what problem do you solve? Why is that an important problem? Are there really a lot of people who have that problem? And what positions you to solve it in a unique and compelling way that won't be easily replicated by everybody else who witnesses your success?
1: First principles is, like, one of these things that is, like, it's so logical, like when you hear it, but it's like so hard to to apply it in the heat of a deal or the heat of battle, the heat of some competition or something like that. Especially yeah. in your your world, right? Everything is competitive, highly yeah. competitive deal. Like. Will you
0: explain what what first principles are in your in your context? Because for us, it's like uh, you know, cu- uh, customer company uh, than us. Like, what are, what does that mean for you from an investment perspective?
2: Yeah, fir- first principles for us. Um, In the context of a company, it means like if you reduce it to its essence, like why do companies exist, right? Like companies don't exist to make people rich, whether those are the founders or the investors or anybody else, like companies exist to solve a problem. So for us, the first principle is just what is the problem you're solving? How do you, how do you do so in a unique and compelling way that has some inherent durability to it? And like for us, that's, those sort of are the first principles, um, how that translates into sort of going after an investment? Um, one of the biggest things we look for is just authenticity in a founder, because if somebody makes a list like "Here are the hundred businesses that maybe I could build," and you know, like I'm going to try a couple of them, but maybe I'm going to settle on you know business number thirty-seven, like that's fine. And there are probably a lot of situations where that ends up working out, um, but you might not have the same level of passion in attacking business number thirty-seven. Mm-hmm. As you do, as as you do when you attack a problem that like you've actually experienced, and it really ticks you off yeah, that, that problem yeah. exists, mm-hmm. and you just want to stamp it out of existence, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> yeah, like, like yeah. that. That like the the authenticity with which somebody approaches their whole business, I, I think they can't help but translate that into their employees and into their customers. And then you have this groundswell of enthusiasm that kind of propels your business forward. Yep. I, know like, I know a guy like that. <laughs> oh, really? I don't
3: know who he is. Yeah. yeah.
2: Do you, you want to talk about first principles thinking? Don yeah. Valentine is it's just so simple. Canonical fill in, example fill, of fill people in who are going to thinking. listen and be like, who's that? And yeah. what was this He's like, uh, Don Valentine was the founder of Sequoia okay. in 1972. Yeah. Um, what was interesting about Don was he was not a financier. Yeah. You know, he was a chief marketing officer at a time yeah. when marketing went into yeah. everything associated with going to market. Mm-hmm. And so the, the founding premise of Sequoia was, uh, was Don just saying, boy, I'm surrounded by all these brilliant engineers yeah. who know how to build great stuff
1: but don't necessarily
2: market. know how to connect it to human <laughs> problems. And it's like that was the genesis of our business, and that's kind of been what we've tried to stay true to over the last 45 years.
1: That's amazing. So that goes back to the authentic founders, right? The big markets. And then he talks about this thing of just, like, target big markets, right? Just, like, it's so fundamental. I mean, I'm doing it injustice. You have to watch it, and he's funny, uh, and the way that he delivers it. But, like, that, it's a thing that we always forget, all entrepreneurs forget, is just, like, the importance of targeting big markets. It's it's tricky, though, and it's it's it's, it's a
2: little bit dangerous because Mm -hmm. I think anymore you don't target a big market from time zero. No. You target a very, very narrow, narrow slice market. of a big market, and yeah. you earn the right to evolve your way into more of it over mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And so I think like for us as investors, one of the mistakes that we make, one of the most common mistakes we make is we underestimate or underappreciate what a market can become yep. when things start to work. Yeah. And as a result, we just don't realize how
1: exciting a business is the mm-hmm. first time we see it. Yeah. And it's something we talk about internally all the time, it's just like, it's our own go-to-market, it's just like, wedge, we gotta start something with something that is like, easy, simple... Everyone can integrate it. It's non-threatening, right? Yeah. Non-threatening is the word that we use. And then that wedge over time gives us the ability to maybe rethink all this other stuff. Yeah. But we're capturing a tiny little wedge in the beginning and then expanding over time. doesn't mean that we don't have a big vision for where we're trying to go, but we need to find that little crack to get inside. Yeah. That's non-rip and replace, non-threatening, not just fits right in there. Well, in
0: the, we- in the wedge that you talk about a lot, it doesn't start it actually starts big and then you get to the wedge right mm-hmm. like you you love the whole um uh, invert right mm-hmm. you invert all the problem invert the problems invert the challenges that we have and then say okay that's the big problem but what's the easiest path to, for us to maybe get into a, into that market or into mm-hmm. that company and that's mm-hmm. how we started small mm-hmm. yeah
1: and so since you look at so many companies what would be your advice to budding young budding entrepreneurs about how to think about their companies about how to think about their company just in general? Yeah, yeah, I know. That's like, a, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's there. In the, in today's context, like how they should... So let's take a SaaS company, for example. Not yeah. a, not a you know, scientific risk kind of company, but like just yeah. like a market risk company, like, like someone in SaaS or some yeah. kind of software. Yeah, yeah. Like how would you be thinking about that category now or that type of company now versus five years ago? Like what are the risks? Um, good
2: question. So I guess... Broadly speaking, and then maybe I'll zoom in on SAS a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Broadly speaking, like we've been in the same basic technology cycle since 2001 now. And so we're called 16 to 17 years in. Mm -hmm. And historically, these cycles have followed kind of 14, 15-year patterns. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in in some ways, we're kind of overdue for the end of this cycle and the beginning of the next. Mm -hmm. And what that means for a founder generally Mm -hmm. is that the... um, uh, what we would call the Verruckt period. Uh, Verruckt is a German word, which means sort of insanity or craziness. Um, what, what, what Don Valentine would have called the good theater that the good comes theater. at the end of a cycle. Yeah. Um, the Verruckt period is probably coming close to an end. And that mm-hmm. could be tomorrow. That could be five years from now, yeah. right? Um, but it's probably coming close to an end. And the way that translates into the advice that we give a founder is, Like, don't get caught up in the hype. Like, Mm -hmm. don't try to chase the unicorn Mm -hmm. logo. Mm -hmm. Don't raise infinite amounts of money just because it's available. Like, just try to stick to first principles because Mm -hmm. if your employees actually care about your mission and if your customers, like, are going to buy your products regardless Mm -hmm. of whether or not their budget is big or small, you're in a good spot. Mm -hmm. And so we would actually encourage people in most cases to raise Less money as opposed to more. Okay. Um, to be very deliberate about the hiring and try to stay away from the people who respond to the line, you know, we're a fast-growing, pre-IPO company, <laughs> and go after the people who respond to the line like, you know, this we care about solving this problem. Mm-hmm. It's hard, but we mm-hmm. think it's worthwhile. Mm-hmm. If you agree, you should join us. Yep. Right. Um, I'm going to change our
1: job descriptions. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I think for SaaS specifically, that's. Um, that's also true because five years ago, there was still a reasonably uh, decent amount of white space yes. in SaaS yeah. just in terms of like buying centers within the enterprise that were underserved um, or SMBs, for that matter, that were underserved. Mm-hmm. And I think today there's less white space. And so the companies that are cracking through are the companies that have come up with something that's truly a superior value proposition. Mm-hmm. Either it's more usable or it's more pervasive or it's yep. more intelligent or mm-hmm. whatever the case might be. Um And and I don't think you can sort of brute force your way into scale today Mm -hmm. the way that maybe you could five, six, seven, eight years ago. Mm -hmm. Today, there's just more competition. You know, everybody's got plenty of money. Yep. And we're kind of back to the basics of like find the magic of product market fit Mm -hmm. and and kind of iterate from there.
1: Mm. Those are wise words for you entrepreneurs out there. Easier said
2: than done. (laughs) I know.
1: (laughs) Everything is easier said than done. That is true. Right, so we're going to talk about carrying the water and basically that's uh, an old saying that most of us know which is uh, for people when they're getting started early in their career to actually spend time carrying the water of those above them, whether that's mentors, whether that's uh, the their people in their workplace, whoever it is, and basically learning through the age-old apprentice method. And The reason that this came up recently is that we always talk about the grind here. And I noticed something, you know, when talking to other founders and other people of a certain vintage, aka old, (laughs) uh, that that it seemed like a lot of people that they were dealing with at work or their colleagues who were, you know, just out of school, fresh out of school, had a different set of expectations for how quickly their career would progress.
0: Yeah. So when you mentioned this idea, when you mentioned this to me, I didn't know what you meant by carrying the water at first and then... You explained it to me. I'm a big sports fan. And so the analogy for me was a lot of times the rookies at training camp on a hot 100-degree day, they got to carry the pads mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, of, of the veterans after practice. They got to carry their shit, yep, bring it into the locker room. Mm-hmm. And so that's what you said. You said, yeah, it's that.
1: Um And that's so, true in sports yeah. and the military and in way long ago and in the workplace I don't as know well. doing things for your
0: parents like exactly. there's just so many there's so many things and we're going to talk about all of them because this is a topic that gets uh, me fired up but you basically were just saying like you know early in your career we talked about this back and yep. forth early in your you kind of have two jobs right mm-hmm. you kind of have like you have a job of you have to do your work yep. you have to be good at your job what, whatever you're a designer right you have to be an amazing designer you got to you know create value for the company and value for your customers but you also have a second job, What's which that? I don't think a lot of people understand. Mm-hmm. And the second job is to make the rest of your team and your manager, yep. your boss, look good and be successful. And it's not just about looking good, but it's like putting them in a position where their life is now easier because they've hired you. Um And it, and I think the biggest thing that people just forget is they completely forget that step. Uh, but it's a hard thing to talk about because we were just at lunch and we were talking about this. We also don't want to come on here and say like, you know, you are at the mercy of your boss, right? And your job is to clean up their shit.
1: Yeah. And I think it's because I think it's true at both ends. So like getting started, I think you should be focused on making the company and your boss, whoever that is, your manager, whoever it is, your team look better, right? And give them the credit. But I also think on the other end, as you progress in your career and as you become a leader, uh, that your job is to help those uh, younger than you, those around you look good and not yourself. So I think it's not just younger people, but I think it's even as you become more experienced, your job should always be to make those around you shine.
0: Yeah, and I think the the, the mindset is like, if I'm an employee, it's how can I how can I do my job and also take as many things off the plate of the person who manages me?
1: Yeah, and I think it's going back to your team, uh, idea there. It's just like when you see a well functioning team that everyone's blown away by, it's they're all individually doing great things, but they're also making sacrifices or, you know, assists in, in basketball terms. Uh, they're assisting other players, right? And those are like the great teams, right? There are great teams with exceptions where there's one dominating player, but usually that's not the case. Usually that's the exception. And usually the rule is a great team is everyone is contributing, uh, to bring the team forward.
0: All right, so why Okay, so I'm for people listening, I'm 29. I graduated He's a millennial. I'm a millennial. Yeah. Uh graduated in 2009 and uh started working.
1: The reason I mentioned he's a millennial is that it's unusual for <laughs> millennials to be uh as in touch with this subject as yeah. Dave is.
0: Yeah, well, anyway. Um <laughs> so 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 like I totally get like you know i i understand this um mm-hmm. and i think since then like right around that time 2009 ish like why do you think this started to happen is you mentioned to me like it's the zuckerberg thing it's, it's because everybody that graduates college now thinks that like they can start a company and be a you know be their own boss at
1: 22 yeah i think a, a number of things have happened like in my opinion and who knows if they're true or not but like uh, you know so some things which may be correlated are you know, all of a sudden, you know, you're being brought up in an era where uh, very young founders and celebrities, basically celebrities of all types, some of those celebrities being founders, are being celebrated by our culture, right? And that could be, you know, a singer, an actor, that could be Zuckerberg himself in technology. But, like, all of a sudden you're seeing examples, public examples, which we didn't see in the past, of 22 year old, 20 year olds, Justin Bieber, you know, 16 year olds, like being phenomenally successful. And the media loves to focus in on those people because they are so exceptional, because that is actually so not normal that we begin to grow up in an environment where we may think those things are normal.
0: And part of the thing is like, you know, part of the things that make, you know, millennials often great teammates, Mm -hmm. uh, is because they, can figure. they think they can, they can figure anything out. And that, that's the mindset, right? I can figure anything out. Yep. I can figure this out. Let me do it. I don't have experience, but let me do it. And that, that is an amazing quality. But at the same time, it's also like exactly what we're talking about here. And it's that, it's that, you know, mindset that I don't have to carry the water yep. here because I'm just a per, I'm a person just like you. Yep. And I can, you know, I can contribute.
1: And what, what year did you start working?
0: So that's I started working, uh, right after I graduated. What year was that? 2009.
1: Okay. That's important. So I I asked that because I think Dave and most people that we're probably talking about have graduated 2009 or more recently. And the reason that I think that's important is the second reason I think that this may be occurring more often than than not is that these people have come into a workforce where in a workplace where there has been no downturn, right? And the (laughs) last significant downturn that we Uh, had economically was 2009. Right. So if you came into the workforce after that, you've never seen, uh, an environment where things have been rough, right? right? You haven't been through those rough times. And I think for the people who are self aware, like Dave is on this subject, like they've probably seen some rough times. They've probably been through the trenches, uh, to some degree. And so they have some context.
0: Yeah. I think. Uh, you know, for me it was because I graduated 2009 and that was 2008 was the shit was a shitty year. Yes. That was my senior year in college. And uh that was like the weird, that was the weirdest I felt in my career actually, even though I hadn't done anything mm-hmm. yet was because everybody says you got to go to college so you can get a job. Yep. I know you have opinions on that, but lots separate thought. <laughs> um But then when I graduated, they were like, oh yeah, we're looking for somebody with two to three years experience. Yep. And I was like, how the fuck do you get experience <laughs> if you can't get a job? So I took a a internship. Okay. Talk about that. Very humbling.
1: Talk about that. Uh, Important.
0: Yeah. So I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be, I graduated with a marketing, marketing degree, which Uh has absolutely nothing to do with anything I've done in my career. Like I, in marketing. Yeah, I do marketing now, but it has nothing to do with anything I learned in college. Okay. Um, And so I took this internship at an agency, a PR agency, because uh, it was like the only place that would hire me. And Uh I thought I wanted to do business. Mm -hmm. And so I figured this would be a good way, work with all these tech companies. And I think that actually had a lot to do with the way that I think now is because of the agency model. Yes. When you're 20, I was 22, 22, I don't get to talk to clients. Nope. Right. So everything that I do has to like be up, like go through somebody else. Be filtered. Um, yes. Every like, you know, when I was an intern, like emails that I'd write, if they were client facing, somebody would have to review, Check them. review them first. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I think that forced me to be like, OK, damn, there is a clear like, you know, ladder here. Hierarchy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But once you can show that you can do it. Um, and so, so like, you know, it was kind of on me, like, okay, if I don't get to do any of this client facing stuff, it was kind of like, how can I make other people that get to do this? How can I make their jobs easier? Mm -hmm. So then I get to do it. Yeah. And so it just became like, you know, scheduling meetings, you know, for people doing all the other shit, like scheduling travel and, you know, putting stuff in Excel that nobody wanted to deal with. And were you paid well at this internship? I was fucking terrible. I (laughs) got $10 an hour and I was, I was living with my parents' house, which is, uh, in Worcester, which was 45 minutes
1: away from Woburn where this internship was. Okay, so you commuting 45 minutes each day? Uh, 120
0: miles round trip every day.
1: There you go. Now, now I think I understand why Dave <laughs> has some, some context to this. And I don't think many people have gone through that.
0: But I don't want to forget this thought. So the, so the, the point of that story was to say that now, all the p- companies that people want to work at, there yeah. weren't as many drifts or other startups, right? Mm-hmm. And so the problem, the challenge is that now, if a startup is your first job, Yes. Or, or all these tech companies, right? Yeah, yeah. You think that work this is, normal. is 10 people sitting around listening to rap on the Sonos <laughs> and there's a tap in the office. Yeah. Like, you think that that's what work is?
1: Nope. No one's work is that <laughs> work.
0: How, how do we change that though? Because like at the same time so – I don't know. I, 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 love,
1: I love everyone's opinion on how you change that. I yeah. don't know because uh, uh, and maybe the change has to come from – Someone like Dave, yeah. because I feel like when I, if I'm to say that, then I'm the old man on right. the hill. Like back yeah, yeah. in my day, yeah, yeah. you had to work. Well, it's, it's shitty. It's day. shitty to whoever
0: says it. It's shitty because, <clears throat> excuse me. Even if I say it, it comes off as I want people to like, you know, be there's there's rules and you don't you're not allowed to talk because yeah. you're in this role. And I'm you know Definitely It's not. not
1: that at all. Definitely not. But yeah, but we have to have some context to understand <clears throat> that you know. The keggerator and you know the um, sitting around together and having a good time and doing outings and doing all the fun stuff that we do as a team, as all of us do as, a, as teams, especially in startups and early technology companies, is not normal. Yeah. It's not normal at all. But when you, that's only been the only experience that you've had, uh, it's hard and, it's hard to have context. Yeah. And is, I don't know how people get You
0: know, it. What I, I think the, I think the most underrated career advice is. What's that? To join a big company when you get out of college.
1: I think it's a really good idea. It gives you context. So like, and it gives you, um, you may like it, so it might be perfect for you. And if you don't like it, then you have a reason or kind of a mission uh, behind your decision yeah. to either start a company or to join a smaller company, and it gives you appreciation. Yeah, I,
0: I think it, uh, it depends on depends on what you do. Like, I can understand if you're an engineer, it might mm-hmm. be easier to go join a small company and like mm-hmm. you have a more focused role. But if you're if you're in sales or you're in marketing, like um, I didn't appreciate this while I was doing it, but yeah. I worked at. Two big companies, yeah. Mm-hmm. Two big companies before Drift, and and two start. So I've done two early stage companies and two big companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when you're at a big company at the time while you're there, you hate it, and you're like, I want to be at a startup this place. But then when you get that first early stage job you have like subconsciously built in all this process and not the bad type of process yep. but like the way you communicate yep. the way you share your work the way you work with others like i think that's stuff that you can't learn if you just go directly to an early stage company and so being in the constraints of a of a big company where you're like you know one of 150 marketers is actually a really good learning experience but it's just hard in that moment to think of it that way
1: yeah and i think you know in our world that we're kind of in the b2b software world it's important to have context for what is broken today in order to fix it. And it's great to have that kind of um, beginner's mindset and to come in and not be weighed down by the way that things work today. But it's also super useful to have some context for like what is actually broken? Do actually people care about whatever it is that I'm building or proposing?
0: Yeah. So, uh, what do you, from, your, from where you are, like what it, Tell me about the good things that can happen to somebody in their career if they carry the water.
1: So much. Let's see. What are the good things? Well, one, you start to <clears> – <throat> it humbles you, right? So you need that humbling and uh, because the humbling is going to come no matter what. Yeah. But I mean from,
0: it, from your perspective, you're more likely to invest in that person.
1: Oh, definitely. Oh, okay. So that perspective, yes. I think like yeah, – you from know, you people, like as a CEO. Yeah, people are always asking for like to get time with – whatever with with me or different people whatever I don't want it to be about me but like they're like oh I want a mentor I want like to talk to this person I want to talk to that person and it's like well first thing you got to do is like do stuff for them people want to get but they never want to give so you got to start with giving because you need to give what you what you want to get back right. and so you go work apprentice mentor whatever the word is go do Basically, go create value for that person or set of people, and uh, and then they will give back to you, right? Uh, but to expect that they will give back to you without first creating value, uh, yeah. it's unlikely. And to this happen. is what
0: happens at companies like you know, I saw this at company I used to work at. Day one, new employee emails like the CMO mm-hmm. says, like, "Hey, can we get a coffee? I want to yep. pick your brain." Mm-hmm. 75 people on this team. Yeah. 100 million dollars in revenue. Yeah. Like he doesn't want to sit down with you and, and talk, have a coffee. Like you've been through the interview process. You're here now. You don't get to, you don't get to pull that card. It's hard enough for other people to get meetings with this person.
1: Totally. And that when I was back before Drift, I was at HubSpot and actually that would happen. I knew when we were bringing in new classes of MBAs. Because it would happen every single time, right? So like, I knew when the new class was starting because I would get all of these emails on. So of every MBA that would start their first day, the first thing that they would do uh, is is to send emails to everyone on the executive team and say, "Hey, can we go to lunch?" Right? So I, first day, you're getting all these emails, and they're like, "Hey, do you have time? Let's set, can we set up a meeting for Tuesday to Good. chat?" And I'd be like. One, who is this? <laughs> Two, I would always reply the same, the same thing. And I, you know, I would be they ask and say no. Yeah. And then, and then they would. Some of them, you know, small percentage of them would reply back and be like, "Uh, why can't we meet?" And I would say, "You need to do something here first, <laughs> right, right? Like right. do something here first, yeah. so that not only that you create value, but that so that we all have context, or I have context to even understand what are we talking about, because you haven't been here for more than." thirty seconds. You haven't contributed to the team or the company, uh, but yet you want to have a meeting. I don't know what the what, what we're gonna talk about. And so and, and you know, most of the most of the time they would always wanna talk about when I did do it in the beginning, uh just nonsense, right? They just wanna meet for the sake of meeting. They're talking about your career. Yeah. Le- yeah. Le- tell, that's why we do this lessons. podcast now. Yeah. So
0: you don't have to, people don't have to meet with you. You just listen.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and I could point them back and be like, go do that. Because yeah. every time I would meet them, I'd be like, oh, we already <clears> talked <throat> about doing right. this. Have you done it yet? No, I haven't done it yet. Well, that's your fucking problem. Whereas like, like what are we talking about? So this right?
0: is a se- just a self-awareness thing. Yeah. Whereas the right way to approach that would have been, I want to meet with this guy, mm-hmm. but I don't have my card to play yet. Yeah. But I'm on his team. I'm gonna bust my ass. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna do a good job. I'm yeah. gonna make sure he knows who I am. Mm-hmm. Maybe make a couple things in his life easier.
1: Yeah, right. And those people, guess what? You you uh, you go out and you pull those people closer to you because they're exceptional. Right. So the people who would come in and crush it, man, I'd be running to meet with them. Not yeah. only me, but anyone else would be like, wow, that person is creating so much value that I want to be a part of them. Well, I you take help the them.
0: other, you take the opposite mindset. You're like, man, I want to try to get my hands on this person early in their career. Yeah right? Versus them just coming to you saying like, hell,
1: you know, Exactly. tell me a story. So totally underrated, you know, carry the water first, you know, yeah. push. And, uh, and then, you know, people will, because it's no, it's so not normal, you will stand out and people will pull themselves to you. So you will create a pull versus trying to push yourself onto them.
0: Yeah. So that's some career advice today
1: Yeah, from us. Yeah. And so, uh, what would you tell people, other millennials like yourself, Who haven't carried the water yet why would it be beneficial
0: i I just like how do they do it so uh, the beneficial part is you just notice that people take good people take good care of you right that's the number one thing Mm -hmm. that's why you should do it um because if you can take little things off of that person's plate then that life their life is easier and it's more likely to trickle down to you um but it's like it also just shows this self-awareness and that I think that can be applied to a lot of other things other than the day-to-day job like oh this guy obviously gets how things work I trust him working on X because he's going to think about it the right way um, as far as like how to apply that in your job mm-hmm. I think like I think just just remember that you have two you have two jobs you have the job that was in the job description like on the website that you applied for and got or whatever didn't apply for but you know the role you have to do that well and and so like that's check number one. You don't get to earn the right to do all this other fun stuff yep. and hang out with execs like if you're not crushing your job. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you've done that, it's just like think about opportunities where you can take things off of people's plate. So like whether it's just like you're in Slack, for example, and somebody, you know, mentions like your, your CMO and they say like, hey, you know, Bob should go do this, right? You know that that you, – if you have self-awareness, you know that that's not something that that person needs to spend their time on. Just mm-hmm. grab that. Just say, say I got it. And I'll do it. Yep. And uh, it's just – it's a lot of just like doing stuff mm-hmm. and then telling somebody that you did it. Like, hey, FYI, like I booked this thing for you. Don't worry about it. Here's all the information. Got it covered. Huge. So that person doesn't have to think. And especially, you know, it, this usually – unless you're at a huge company, this usually – the story that we're telling today is like applies to execs. It's not usually like the director of sales at a big company. Um, it's more about people whose schedules are already nuts yep. and already have enough stuff going on mm-hmm. that any, any like sliver that you can make their life a little bit easier mm-hmm. as it relates to work, yep. whether it's, you see some bullshit stopping it before it gets to them, mm-hmm. you know, it's almost like your fight, you, you see a fight with your sibling. Mm-hmm. You could either tell your, you could either let your parents find out so everybody gets in trouble, Yeah, you know, or you can deal with or you it. can deal with yourself.
1: Yeah. So I think the one takeaway, the one thing that I would tell people if they're, early in their career and they have kind of a goal of hey I want to be the CMO someday I want to be the CEO I want to be whoever you want to be uh or I want to you know start a company someday whatever it is that your whatever your goal is to go and find out find the person closest to you who has already done that and has been successful at doing that uh and then go and figure out how you can go and carry the water for her for him right. and uh, and then learn from that person uh, by doing so.
0: And realize how long it took that person to get there. Right. long time. You and I were cha- – you shared a story like you said one time you started a bunch of companies, managed hundreds of people. Yep. You said one time somebody basically like jumped five different steps to become an exec before, oh, they, totally. before they were 30. Yeah, I
1: think this is like something that people don't see. Like it takes a, time. It takes a long time. And so some people – you know, might come out of school and be like, you know, I'm 22, I'm 23, I'm 24, whatever. It's like, all right, how can I be VP of whatever or the CMO in, you know, yeah. in a year? And it's like, you know, when someone is that far out or that far, um, from being self-aware, it's almost, it's really hard to kind of coach them, but you know, you can use examples and say, you know, the best, best case scenario, like the most, the phenom, the, the person who's blown you that you've seen or either work with you or has worked uh, around you who's, you know, who's been the, the Kobe of their era. It took them, you know, whatever, eight years, ten years to be able to do And I was this. like the best person you've ever seen. So yeah, it's and I've be, only seen one, right? right? So, like, you know, can you? maybe you can be faster than that person. Probably not. Probably most of us cannot be that, can be the Kobe of our yeah. position, of our generation.
0: Yeah, but the thing is it doesn't come down to, like, if you're 24 or 25 – that next step isn't about the work that you've done in the 365 days of that year.
1: Exactly.
0: It's like the experience that you have to, that just compounds over time, mm-hmm. right? And, and a lot of times it's like, you can do an amazing job, but time, you just need time because you need to see more things happen. There's going to be ups and downs. You need to go through all that. It's not like you you just crush it in one year and because nobody has seen results like that, that you just get to be this role.
1: Yeah, you need, to, you need time to make mistakes and to learn from them. You're going to make lots of them. I'm reading this fantastic book by the founder of um, Sam Adams, Jim Coach. I don't know if I'm saying his last name right. Fantastic book. I think we're going to do a podcast episode in the future about this. Great book. You know, he started this beer micro. He started the micro brewery kind of. Uh, industry. He started Sam Adams, which most of us know as a great beer company. And um, and one thing that he said that he always remembered that his dad told him, and he came from a, the longest line of American brewers in history, right? His dad was a brewer, his grandfather, his great-grandfather. Well, his dad told him one thing that he always remembered. He said, you know, you got, you need time to be able to make mistakes. And you're going to start out and you're going to make $100 mistakes in business. <laughs> then you're going to make $1,000 mistakes you know, and maybe you might even make it one day to make $100,000 mistakes. And he said, and if you're really, really, really lucky and part of the very, very few percentage of people who get this far, you will someday make million dollar mistakes. And he always thought about that because he did make all of those mistakes, including making uh, one multi million dollar mistake. Um, that could have sunk his company, but you will need time in order to make all those levels of mistakes. And it's one thing to learn from a hundred dollar mistake, but guess what? A $10,000 mistake is coming up and a hundred thousand dollar mistake is coming up. And that just is a matter of time. You cannot rush that.
0: The the pattern recognition is such a tough, you, it, I feel like the only way to learn that is, is rep, we call it like reps and sets. Like you have to just have a, you have to have done hundreds of interviews. Like
3: yes, I'll, I'll feel
0: it now him and I might interview the same person and we'll walk out of the room and I'll be like, man, I thought she was great. Like I loved her. And he'll be like, sleep on it tomorrow morning. Text me. (laughs) Yeah. And I'll be like, where's he going with this? And then he'll be like, did you notice that she, you know, she said this thing. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, that's exactly like this person and this person and this person. Yeah. You're right. But that's not a thing that I've seen yet.
3: Yeah. Here's a tip for you. Um, after 30 years of doing this, um, If you go into an interview thinking about the problem that you're trying to solve, right? Mm -hmm. So you hire somebody. So this is how you get a rec approved in most companies. It's either describing the person that left that you didn't want to go, a fantasy person that doesn't exist, (laughs) or whatever it takes to get it approved. None of those things have anything to do with why you're interviewing. Um, Because when you're interviewing, you're trying to figure out if this person can do this job. And so it's I always equate inter recruiting like painting, it's all in the prep, Mm. right? So first you got to go deep into what is it we don't know how to do, right? What is it that, what problem is it that we need to solve? What kind of, how do we want to round out the team? Where, where, what needs to happen that's not happening now? And the more you know about that problem, the more you'll start to recognize the patterns. Because what we do is we interview for fit, and here's what fit literally translates to early in your career. I want somebody who's smart. I want them quick on their feet. Yeah. I want them. I actually somebody just like me.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: about so all true. the time.
3: Right? So all the time, right? The time. And then you, you then you interview somebody and you want to go have a beer with them. So you figure they're great, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And I would say, God, I loved him too. I t- totally love him. By the way, did he mention this? current boss yeah that guy's such a dick i can't yeah. believe it. it's like <laughs> i know it's it's horrible did he manage to tell you the company before hey, hard to believe two in a row like that. I mean, what an unlucky guy. Did you know that he was smarter than his principal in elementary school? (laughs) He's been smarter than every CEO he's ever. So by the way, the next asshole manager, you can see in the mirror in the morning. Yep.
1: It's going to be you.
3: (laughs) But, uh, but it's not my team. Right. (laughs) Right? I'm just giving you feedback. So you, you, if you do that, you'll see, you'll start to see those Mm -hmm. things more that become intuitive after a while. Mm In the traditional outsourced headhunting model, there's a one-to-one ratio between the recruiter and the manager, Mm. and you're in it together. Instead of throwing it over the wall to HR to say, throw me back some resumes, and I'll throw you back who I want, you're Mm shoulder-to-shoulder. And so the difference philosophically in my approach is that uh, managers own building fabulous teams that create high-quality work on time that's their job HR's job is to help them get that right mm. but it's not HR's job to build their team and if I had hiring managers that weren't you know didn't have time and yeah. couldn't return the email I'd just take their recruiters away i am like okay well you figure it out you're on your own, on your own. Mm. because it you know we didn't we hired you to build a great team we didn't hire you to tell my team what to my team knows what to do mm-hmm. so you either need them or not and if you don't, that's cool. You got your own methodology. Rock on. Let me know if I need can help you with scheduling. So
1: you had basically business partners for all the different functional areas. Yeah,
3: yeah, and they set and they spent a lot of time in those functional yeah. areas. So look, we started with a conversation about how to find the problem, and so that would be the whoever on the recruiting team that was working on that team's openings would be in meetings with them would go to most of their larger team meetings Mm -hmm. because they had to learn to speak the language and find out what yeah you know what kind of team they were building yeah that's
0: definitely the hardest part
3: story on that one okay you got a story on that one of course um we're uh we're doing streaming, and we've gotten in all the DVD players. But the next big penetration in the household is game players, because they're already in the living room. They already stream mm-hmm. video.
0: So this is like getting Netflix on the PlayStation
3: on the players, and Xbox. right? And we were on the PlayStation because we had a good relationship with Microsoft. Reed was on the board, yep. and um, so that. But you know, there wasn't that much. What we wanted was the Wii. Yeah. Right. It's cheap. Everybody's got one. Yeah. Young, and it's especially easy, younger. especially younger people. And then we also knew that if you could hook them when they're six, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. you got them forever because why would you ever do anything else when mm-hmm. you get to do that? Um, so, but it's really hard because the development cycle for the Wii is like two, two and a half years, right? And so they don't put new players out very yeah. often and we'd missed one. And so we're like, Oh, you know, if we ever get, so then we get this, like we're in the Wii, like, oh hell yeah, yeah right well when like mm-hmm. t- um the next 10 months like 10 months shit, shit. <laughs> you know do we have anybody that knows anything about it that would be zero mm-hmm. right other than have one in my living room yeah i've yeah. taken it apart which meanwhile people are doing furiously yeah. so i take one of my recruiters and i'm like okay this is it this is your only job you know we got to build this team in the next 6 weeks probably if wow. we're going to You know, we got to build the software, we got to test the software, got to understand Mm -hmm. technology. Um, So, fast forward, and um, we're celebrating the launch of Netflix on the Wii, and everybody's out in the courtyard, and we're having a big party celebration. I'm standing next to this person, Bethany, and she's kind of weepy. I said, Are you all right? Something happened today. She goes, Built that team! Yeah look at who shipped the weed in <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She, was so proud. Yeah, yeah. she was so proud and she was at meanwhile they're like and thank you bethany for that's bringing awesome. us together that's to awesome. be able to do this incredible thing yeah. and i tell that story to hr people i'm like that's how you want them to feel yep Ooh. That's right keith.
0: i'm thinking about keith right now. yeah yeah, yeah you want to think team. and
3: you and to imagine the motivation of doing it ima- is really powerful because it's really powerful yeah, yeah.
0: And when you think about it like that, it, you, you, when you think about your responsibilities to build a team, you think about the puzzle pieces. You're that's not right. going to get all the same personality type. That's This right. is a strength. This is a weakness. And you think about like-
3: Start with what you want to do differently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do the, my, my uh, methodology is think six months out. Think your team is amazing. Mm-hmm. It, people are just awed by what you're accomplishing. What's occurring then that's not occurring now? And then- do all the numerals that are associated with that. Write that down, and then, but make a movie of it. Yeah. Are there more meetings? Or are there less meetings? Are you arguing passionately, coming up with a decision and executing? Or are you just arguing all the time and wasting time? What's what's different, right? And then you drop down and you go, okay. In order to do that, marketing, right? Um, I need people who get up and go realize that the technical people don't understand our new campaign. And they don't sit around and go, you know, those engineers, they just don't understand marketing. They get off their butts <laughs> and they walk over to somebody in engineering and go, can I talk to you about the campaign? Because it would really help me to know your perspective on it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because I want to make sure that we're selling what you're building. Yeah, <laughs> You know, crazy stuff. Okay, so now you drop down and you say, okay, what would people need to know how to do in order to accomplish that? And mm-hmm. if you've got a team full of introverts that don't like engineers, you probably should have some people that do. Right? Mm-hmm. Then you drop down you say, okay, what kind of skills and experience would it take for somebody to know how to do that in order to accomplish that? And then and only then, who do you got? And what we typically do is we start with who we've got and where we want to go mm-hmm. and go hire some people to do it. Instead of that will give you the balance of the puzzle, that will give you the puzzle, right? You yeah. know what? We really could use somebody who's seen, scale is one that's usually hard yeah. to get in your yeah. startup team mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. then you then but then you get you're like i need somebody who's seen bigger and then you just go so i hire somebody from a big company and they fail
0: how, how often do you go and evaluate like what you have look at the mix of the team
3: every quarter you should go six months out quarterly moves that fast now mm-hmm. i mean i think six months out is the is the most realistic time horizon, and if you don't put a time horizon on it, you'll never do it. You have to put time on it. So the most common mm-hmm. startup, you know, problem is they don't put a wrapper on it. Time wrapper. Yep. When when's that going to happen? That culture someday. someday.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's burned, <laughs> he's, burned, he's burned this one into my head. Da- dates are forcing functions. You Date, want something uh, done?
3: So the day after I stood on a chair, this is when I advise startups. I'm like, are you past the stand on a chair part? You know, Uh, when you can can stand on a chair and yell, you you know, once you can't do that anymore, you have to change the way you communicate. But I I stood on a chair and I said, we are not your family. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Man,
0: I, yep. can we talk – I want to go deep on that for a second. That's something that we've been talking about a lot yep. lately because I think it's easy to, to 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 say, oh, this is your family. These are the people you spend so much time with. This is one big family here. Why is that such a bad uh, way of thinking?
3: Because it's not true.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Families are undying love. Yeah. Right? Can't you, you can't get yeah. rid of them. And you're going to lend your brother-in-law money even though he's a deadbeat because yeah. – He's your sister's husband, and that's mm-hmm. what families do, right? Mm-hmm. You're gonna forgive your my my daughter who doesn't call me anymore because mm-hmm. she's busy with her life. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> she's yeah. got other stuff to do, right? Yeah. Um, and you don't come together for life mm-hmm. and to do whatever comes along. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a team that comes together to create a product or service yep. that you provide to people that they give you money for.
1: The other thing that's missing that I see all the time, and this is my rants because I go on tirades all the time, mm-hmm. is that um, good for you? I love yeah, tire yeah rides. I love the tirades. Is yeah. that people want that on the other side, but they also want to work like you know eleven a.m. to three p.m. and have all those things. And people was, was doing it for yeah.
3: yeah. I I mean I really pay attention to this. This yeah. is my life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. When you go home at the end of a work day and say to whoever it is that's there, you know, mm-hmm. your pet, your spouse, yeah. who your plants, mm. God damn, it was a great day at work today. Yeah. It is never, comma, there were macadamia nuts in the cookies. Never. Right. Damn. Never. It is always, we did it. Yep. We, we did, did some. New. And, I, you know, when I talked to HR people, I just did a group of HR people and I said, so tell me what you do. Mm -hmm. well i think you know i'm in hr i'm like i know i know that um what do you do what do you do that drives this business forward Mm -hmm. what what are you i'm like what metric what business metric does the work that you do every day you know address i make people happy i'm like that's not a job (laughs) right and and i said okay so here's your homework okay Let's say I thought that was a reason for being. I don't, but let's mm-hmm. say I did. And we believe, and my theory is that, you know, f- fabulous work with other smart people that affects millions of people is what drives people. Yeah. So you n- know five very successful people in this company. In the next five days, I want you to talk to each one of them and say, tell me about a time that you accomplished something that you're extraordinarily proud of. Mm-hmm. And I said, it will always be hard.
1: Yeah. Always be hard.
3: Always be hard. It'll never be like, oh, my God, it was a total piece of cake. I mean, like, we came to work at 10, we left at 3, and, like, mostly we just partied. And, like, there were cocktails a lot.
1: It was hard.
0: (laughs) It It was was hard,
3: right? So you didn't think you could do it. and Or, man, there's a person on my team that I really didn't think that much of, and she stepped up. I mean, it was like awesome Mm -hmm. we could have done it it's always those stories so that's what makes people happy at work accomplishing Mm -hmm. stuff I think that the way you go farther in your career is you have a track record of Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know that's true you know that's true Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) right I mean it's not that you have progressive job titles it's that you're part of you could describe what you accomplished. I mean, mm. that's, that's when you interview people and you yeah. think, oh, this person's really great. Maybe. It's when their eyes light up and they can totally. tell you exactly what they did. Yes. Right. That's and it.
1: he's laughing because that's the thing that I talk about the eyes light up and people are looking at me like, what are you talking about? I don't know. I don't when understand. you touch
3: like, that, when you touch their passion so button, you, yeah. Can't, yeah. Fake Boom, yeah. yeah. you yeah. can't fake it. Yeah. You can't fake it. And that's, so that's yeah. what my algorithm for success. Yeah. I'm giving you my whole book here in this. No, I love it. I love okay. it. the, um, is what, do, mm-hmm. is what you love to do, is what you love to do, that you're extraordinarily good at doing yeah. something we need someone to be great at. Yep. Okay. Are the
1: three. The
3: and three. when you're driving to work or you're on the subway and you're not looking forward to it, mm-hmm. then take my algorithm and tear it apart. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you're feeling like, you know, they don't even realize how good I am at this stuff and I could be doing this. It's yeah. like, I know how to do this great thing and it doesn't even matter. Mm-hmm. And the answer might be, it doesn't.
0: Yep. Right. So not a good
3: fit. Not a good fit. Or what if I hired you to do something and you're amazingly did it and now you're done. Builders Mm -hmm. are rarely the best maintainers. Yes. Right. So you've spent the last three years creating some incredible product Mm -hmm. that everybody loves and you're done doing it, but now you have tenure. Yeah. And you care about retention. So, what are you going to do to develop me to do something I like to do next? Mm-hmm. Here's what I like to do. And you don't need anybody to do that. Yeah. yeah. Right? And we don't honestly, you asked me about goodbyes, we don't say, man, we wouldn't be here today without you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. Mm-hmm. And you know what? For what I, when I look forward and when I look out six months and see what we have to do in the team I need to build, if you came in and interviewed, I wouldn't hire you.
1: Yeah. No.
3: So how do we figure how to leverage this for the next place that really needs somebody like you?
1: Mm, I love that. So I was just because I was going to ask you, how do you do this with people and uh, just be real with them and not have people say, oh, they have an edge. You have have to be real with them
3: all the time. All the time. And you have to do and you have to do it with love and respect.
1: Mm hmm.
0: What advice would you give to us? So we grown we've grown from like ten to fifty people probably in the last year or so. Next stage is going to be fifty to five hundred, which is what you mentioned yep. before. Yep. W- looking at us as drift at f- about to be fifty people. What what advice would you leave us with?
3: Watch for the danger of nostalgia. Oh, okay. That's like people missing the old days. Yeah. And... That's your first sign of smoke. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's really good. And it, this and is, it, I'm, and, I'm right, thinking of and right at 50 people is when you start to this pains, you start to get these aches and pains. Wow. Right. And so, um, when that happens, it's a signal that you have to prepare the organization for change.
1: Mm-hmm. I forgot where I heard it. I heard this quote. Once, which is like uh in a movie, is a great movie quote. But this is like the thought that I have in my head when when I'm in a meeting. It's like I have a sense of urgency, and it's don't waste my bleeping time. Yeah. Let's go. You let's can say it. That we
0: have the explicit tag on this. Oh, we have the explicit yeah, tag. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. My
1: mother bleeping yeah. time. Uh, and let's th- keep this focused. And yeah. I think one thing that I didn't mention in the last point, which is like keep the meeting as small as possible, is people are worried. Uh, And they invite a lot of people because they want to be transparent about what's going on in the meeting. Instead of inviting people, what we encourage is... Share what you guys decided, what you decided on in that meeting with the entire company. Have full transparency. That doesn't mean that the people have to literally be in the room with you, but as soon as you leave that meeting, share with everyone that you can, everyone on your team, everyone affected, whatever was decided in that meeting. Yeah.
0: So like one of the things that we do at Drift, for example, is like even if somebody wasn't in that meeting, it's almost like unless somebody took the action items out of that meeting and wrote them up on our wiki and then shared them in Slack, it's almost as if that meeting didn't happen. So.
1: Exactly,
0: hey, you don't have so so you're doing both, right? You're not inviting people, but you're still sharing everything that
1: happened. Mm-hmm. and we'll do different things. We'll share written notes of a meeting. We'll share sometimes audio notes, sometimes video if we have someone come in and we video that uh, those notes, and a lot of times we just share. Photos of whiteboards of where decisions yeah. were made and we share those internally. Or,
0: or even like you will take, you know, you'll take our, uh, the deck that you present to our board mm-hmm. and right, like the whole company isn't at that meeting But nope. you say, Hey, here's a link to the board meeting. It went well. Here's what we covered.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And so if anyone has questions, we can talk about that, but they don't have to be in the meeting exactly. and we don't need to waste their time.
0: Yeah. And then the last, the last guardrail is either participate or excuse yourself. Mm.
1: Yeah. This is, I've seen some people pull this off really well. Uh, but it's very rare, which is like, if you're, if you are in those very few meetings that are very focused and have small number of people, even then, uh, if you feel like you're not adding value to this meeting, I think Elias has done this well on our team sometimes in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a Elias kind of way of just get up and be like, I'm not, you know. I'm leaving this meeting because yeah. I'm not adding I'm value to this thing. Yeah. Uh, but I've seen other people do that very well. But it people shouldn't be offended themselves. by that. No. Like, I'm going to excuse myself. I don't think I'm adding value to this meeting. Thanks for inviting me. I'm going to go off and do what I need to do. I think Dave has done it uh, several times as well.
0: Yeah, it depends. If, we, if I'm in a meeting and we start talking about engineering yeah. and we go too deep, I'm out. What?
1: Yo, what would you do this week? I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. That's, See ya. Just ask me when
0: I'm filling up my coffee or something. <laughs>
1: exactly. Not now.
0: All right. So I got to ask you then. How to run a company without meetings? It sounds basically like a core value of this podcast. Yeah. Just get up out of your chair, mm-hmm. go over and talk to somebody.
1: It's very simple. Get out, Communicate. Communicate with that person yeah. or those people. Now in the age of drift and Slack yeah. and messages and phone and all this kind of different ways that we can communicate even less reason to have face-to-face meetings or even virtual meetings. Cool. Uh, have as few, as many as, pos- as possible. Just over-communicate and default to transparency in everything that you do, and you'll have less reasons to have a meeting. I love
0: it. Okay, so... Uh, yeah, yeah, we're good. No, well, will just set up. We're good now. It's recording. Okay. blinking. The blinking red just means uh, it's monitoring. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, so, topic for today is about hiring, so there's two okay. The, the hottest job that everybody wants everybody wants to work at a startup that's number one. So we got that out of the way. Like, covered. second part of that, like, the, if you go down the thing that everybody wants, so first they want to get a job at a startup, but then the thing that everybody wants to do at a startup is all of a sudden everybody wants to be a product manager.
1: Hey, man, I found that out recently uh, when I gave a talk at uh, HBS. So, back in the day when uh, my product managers that I used to work with wanted to. Leave product management, and they would go to HBS. Now I'm going to HBS, and uh, people want to leave HBS and become a product manager. So people world- go to business
0: school because they, and then they come out being product managers.
1: Yes, we don't need to dive into. Well, we
0: we've we've touched on MBA stuff before, so we won't go deep in that one. Even though I can see it on your face, but um, the question that everybody asks you a lot is like, how do you hire PMs? What do you look for in hiring PMs? And you have a really like kind of. I don't really care take on this, so yeah.
1: Yeah, no uh, idea. Yeah, I care deeply. Yeah, think, you
0: care deeply, but you don't have a you. You have a criteria that's the opposite of what people are going to. Yeah, take. I think
1: I have a different perspective, and mine is um, they usually ask me like, what qualities you need to be a PM, and I and uh, you know how much does experience play in, how technical do you have to be, and I say, number one, I, I almost I never hire someone to be a PM who's been a PM before, and then then their their mouth drops.
0: Okay, so let's go in on that. So so. That seems counterintuitive because I listen to everybody and what does everybody say about startups? The hardest thing is the people and hiring. Mm-hmm. You got to get those things right. I agree. But you're saying don't hire somebody who has experience for
1: what you want. Yeah, and that's for a couple of reasons. One, um, PM is a role that is very specific to a company. And if you meet PMs from five different companies, you've met five different roles that almost have very little overlap. Uh, and then the second is, The the companies that I've started or I have been a part of have been product-driven companies. Therefore, product is our special sauce, right? And when, depending on your company and depending on what your special sauce is, for for my companies, it's been product. And if that's our special sauce, then we can grow people better internally uh, than we can hire. External PM.
0: So like a good example. So at drift we have Matt is our product manager and you guys hired him right out of college mm-hmm. To he's our only product manager right now. That's right um, And to you that's that's so you'd rather do that right where you can have somebody and mold them Then take somebody who's been at Google for 10 years and then have to retrain them to this way
1: Exactly because when we mold them and they come and they rise internally they have our DNA, right? But is there a skill set for product managers, or
0: can you take anybody and and have them become a product manager?
1: I would say there are uh, not specific skill sets, not specific rules for hiring a, a product manager. I think there's heuristics. There's things that we look for that we think are patterns. Uh, I think you know people who are naturally, obviously, cur- curious about the types of products that we're building. Uh, people, you know, and today like. You know, people who are like really product junkies are really geek out on whether it's product hunt or new products that are being released. They're the ones that are testing new new gadgets and new things all the time. Right.
0: So you want somebody. So you you still want somebody who's playing around with products all the time, but maybe not somebody who's gone super deep on one. Yeah. And that's the only thing that they can they can think about. Um. Okay, so the secret sauce thing is interesting. So if product is your secret sauce, you think that. You know you can almost train anybody to be a product manager. That's specific to us. Let's maybe give some more like general advice for other companies based on their secret sauce. like what's your kind of theory on who you hire? So the first thing is what's your secret sauce?
1: Mm-hmm. Then, first, it's identify your secret sauce and so let's say it's another company and their secret sauce happens to be sales. okay. Then I think in that company, they should probably hire product managers who have experience. They probably should hire marketers that have experience, they probably should hire finance and HR that, have exp- that bring a wealth of experience, uh, but they probably shouldn't hire lots of experience when it comes to sales, because sales is their secret sauce.
0: Right, and so in the product-driven scenario, you're, you're looking for on the outside people who, you know, the non-secret sauce thing is like very specific in finance, HR, or just other kind of roles that don't support the product.
1: Exactly, I think for, for us, those roles, let's say that finance, HR, higher experience all day long, right? Like I'm going to look for people who are going to teach us something there. But in product, we're teaching people about product. In kind of growth and marketing, I'd say, you know that's a secret sauce area for us too, and so we're we're doing more teaching than we are, necessarily learning from someone who's just had twenty experience, twenty years of experience in a company. that's the sound of the police <laughs> you're in I wish
0: people could see you you're in your travel gear
1: I'm all sweat you're catching suited a, it up a
0: 9 p.m. flight to Dublin and so you're in in the sweatsuit uh, so today on seeking wisdom we're gonna talk about how to work
1: show me the money let's all right, go
0: let's get you I want you to tell the back tell the backstory we were having a conversation at lunch the other day mm-hmm. about uh, how to work what? And this is something that you've seen like over, you've seen this over the years. This, this could be almost like a little follow up to carry the water, mm-hmm. but this is one of those things that like, you don't, you, you don't really, you have to learn it. And it's also one of those things in your career that is so important, but nobody ever tells you that it's so important. How you actually work.
1: And how come, why do you know how to do it?
0: <laughs> Cause, uh, I, this is how I started working. I had a, the first boss that I had. Yeah. Uh, at the time, he drove me insane, and he always what wanted he to review every email and mm-hmm. and highlight this. And uh, every time I'd write something, this was before people used Google Docs, just Microsoft Word. Yep. Every email I got from this guy would be like feedback and track changes
1: <laughs> that's good so it's feedback driven yeah did was, you do it for forever or was no okay. no it
0: was uh you know a couple months right yep as I was you know I was, I was young 23 mm-hmm, uh, and I didn't still know any, young I didn't know anything yep yeah yeah, yeah of course I'm still young but uh, I mean this was like the first job I ever had mm-hmm. and uh, you know at first it was hard because you get this thing back and it's just bleeding red right yep. like I spend time writing this thing and it's just blood red all mm. comments. But once you realize that everything this guy was saying was right, mm. and it changes, it changes how you think about things. Absolutely. So that's kind of where this whole thing started from. But there's a bunch of different topics that I want to talk about with you today. But um, yeah, it reminds me of this
1: book I was reading, yeah. which I forgot the title off. Yeah, of course. Okay, because there's so many. But uh, it's a book by Colin Powell. Oh and I yeah. think I mentioned it. Yeah, and it was. Uh, in it, it, there's this part in it that I thought was interesting that reminded me of your experience. Yeah, where he said, whenever he would bring on a direct report, uh, and I, th- I believe this is when he was Secretary of State. If mm-hmm. you don't know Colin Powell, he was Secretary of State. He was, uh, you know, the head of the Joint Chiefs. Mm-hmm. You know, chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and a uh, believe three star general. And so he um, he would tell people who came to work for him directly that. For the first amount of time, let's say it's a month—I forgot what the time frame was—or the first few months—that he is going to be all over them, right? He's going to be on top of them, night and day, and it will be hard for them to breathe, right? It will be relentless, and in terms of giving them feedback and kind of, you know, kind of what you were saying, kind of, kind of being in their shorts, and then, and but his goal and the reason he was telling them this was that this was his form of training. Yeah, uh, and getting them used to his kind of feedback and learning how he worked and how he ran a group or department or organization. And then, uh, over time that he would pull himself more and more away. And then finally he would hardly be involved in what they were doing. Yeah. And I think he said this for a number. Well, First, I think he said it because he wanted to make clear that, uh, you know, when these people are suffering through this, that they knew there was an end in sight. Right. And this is going to be over. Yeah, yeah. Man, this this guy won't leave me alone. Yeah. Uh, but that this was his form of training. Mm-hmm.
0: It's also smart because he set that expectation up front. Like, yes. Because he went out and said that, you don't feel like, even if he is micromanaging, you're not like, man, this fucking guy. Like You're yeah. just, you know, it he changes. He won't let the, up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, it's, so it was his form of training and it was like really clear feedback. Uh, Relentless and then let up But you know usually what happens is Either someone micromanages Forever right and so it never Stops they never set that expectation Or they don't give you Very detailed feedback and you're left Guessing and uh, assuming Things and then getting negative feedback Later on and so he really Compressed the feedback loop as we talk About it here and uh, put that up Up front and then set expectations for When he was going to pull out
0: yeah so, but okay here's the thing that i want to talk about and have this podcast mm-hmm. is there's this whole like layer of work there's this whole layer of things you have to do at work that actually have nothing to do with the stuff that you're creating right so yep. if you're a designer if you're a marketer if you're an engineer mm-hmm. uh that's you know part one is doing your job and doing the th- and creating the things you need to create right mm-hmm. but part two is like this the way that you share your work Show your work, mm-hmm. the way that you manage up and manage your you manage your manager, and have one on ones and proactively communicate. Like, there's this whole other layer of work that I th- don't think a lot of people tell you about earlier in your career. No, and oftentimes it takes. A lot of people miss that because if you join an early stage company right out of college, you mu- don't always have the structure and the process, mm-hmm. and so you know the people that I know that have had it have either worked for somebody who has managed them that way or worked at a bigger company where there's was more process structured.
1: yeah um process driven and and this is
0: something that you you're you talk about all the time is mm-hmm. like show, show your work show your work proactively communicate it's something yep. that we're really big on and
1: i think you nailed it right there i think it comes down to communication and that's the part that everyone's missing about their job so they know their craft let's say it's design let's say it's marketing let's say it's engineering, whatever it is, finance, they know that craft, but they've never been taught and they've never been in a process where they have to learn not only to communicate to their boss Mm -hmm. or the group or their investors or whoever they're, they're working for, right? We all work for someone at the end of the day, including all of us right here. Um, mm-hmm. And so we have investors to answer to. And yeah. we have lots of people to yeah, answer to. Yeah, I have to. you to answer to. And I have investors <laughs> to answer to. See? so it's Yeah, endless. we're good. We're good. Uh, and so, uh, and they have investors yeah. to, uh, to answer to. Uh, so either keep communicating to the person that you're working with uh, or and communicating to the people around you. And those might be people in your group and then people in your company uh, across your organization. So you're never taught to communicate across and you're never... Communicate uh, to other people. You kind of just assume that people know what you're doing. This uh, you assume that oh, I'm doing my work and I'm getting it done, and people should just know. But yeah. people shouldn't just
0: know. All right, we're gonna do a little uh, seeking wisdom today. We haven't talked about books in a
1: while. Damn, bringing it back to my favorite.
0: Yeah. yeah. And so, all right, we came up with this topic, and uh, we're each gonna share the three books that have had the biggest impact on us. Uh, but we just spent like I don't know, we spent it took me two minutes, it took it took this guy like an hour. He's yeah, going through thousands hour. of books.
1: No way. <laughs> Gave me five minutes. This guy comes in, Dave, and gives me five minutes to pick the three books that have had the most impact on my life.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's easy for me. I've read like six books, so I just picked half of them, and then
1: <laughs> so I had to go through like thousands of books in five minutes.
0: Yeah. All right. So here's what we're gonna do. We're, we'll we'll uh, we'll go back and forth, and we'll talk about okay. we'll talk about our our uh, our three. Since you're since you're the wiser you're the wiser one <laughs> here. Give give the what's older. the fir- yeah. What's the first one?
1: I'm gonna throw you for a loop. Okay, hit me. Dave's not expecting this. I'm not this. ready. He probably has not read this. Uh, so, again, these are not – didn't have enough time to yeah. really come up and do with the three best books. These are the three books that I'm thinking about right now yeah. for whatever reason sure. that have had an impact on me. Okay. The first book that I want to talk about is called Walden. Uh-oh. It's by Henry David Thoreau. And uh, Yeah,
0: out of, so far <laughs> out of my league. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Dave's Dave's eyes just roll backwards in his head, and he's like, "What is going yeah. on?" So I'm going to give you a couple of quotes. That's right. what I was looking up. That's where I was, from uh, from the book. Sure. Uh, the first is, and this is from Henry David Thoreau: "Our life is frittered away by detail. Simplify, simplify." Damn.
0: What made you think of this book now for this?
1: Uh, this time of year. So we're coming into fall here. Yeah. And so uh, basically his writings about okay. uh, Walden Pond yeah. um, made me think about this time. Yeah. And, and fall in New England is that time that is uh, is awesome and kind of like a little bit of melancholy. What's si- Why is
0: simplify such an important message though?
1: It's something that we talk about all the time all right the time. it's the time it's the thing that we kind of repeat here all the time and uh, and we think about every single day of like simplify, simplify, simplify and and even when you think you've simplified, you probably haven't simplified enough. yeah, all right, all right, his next quote from the same book is is a great one. Mm. if you have built castles in the air, your work need not be lost. This is where you should be now, put the foundations under them,
0: damn, translate
1: that. So translate that. So like we talk about big dreams and yeah. big things that we want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it is not wrong to think of those dreams, but now we need to think about how we build the foundations to make those dreams a reality. Or it's the
0: same reason why we set like we set goals mm-hmm. that when we write them down are like they're crazy Holy and shit. then you double them. So they're crazy. <laughs> they're crazy and yeah. then I double them. But they push but they push our team to like to do more.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So then it forces us to figure out how to build the foundations underneath it. Wow.
0: Okay. I'm going to look like I got coloring books compared, <laughs> compared to your Tell list. Tell us about your Elmo book. All right. So the first the first book, uh, this is a very popular book, um, but it had a big impact on me because I was, just started to get into working at tech companies. And it mm-hmm. was, uh, was it? actually the Steve Jobs biography, which is- a, oh, That's a, a good one. It's, a very it's on my list. One. Yeah. It's on your list. Of your three- no, 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 Oh, of your thousand. Okay. Of my he just, showed, of- he just showed, uh, you, you can't see because it's a podcast, but he just showed me his thousands of books on Goodreads. So yeah,
1: thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's in my top list. Yeah. No, but this,
0: okay. So this one, I just happened to read it. You know, like we always talk about stages and, and you know, when you're thinking about things. This one was like earlier in my career, just started working, uh, you know, in, in tech and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I just thought it was crazy to see like the behind the scenes process of building a company um and he, he, the thing that stood out was i was at a public company at the time and uh there was just a lot of stuff about you know managing expectations and how he managed wall street which he didn't give a shit at all about you know stock price and and he he had a lot of the same philosophies that we've talked about a bunch on the podcast and bill walsh and like you know he's like if we take care of all the little details inside the company they'll the, take care of themselves. the stock price is going to take care of itself and so he never You know, big theme was like never making a basing a product launch around like an earnings call, Mm -hmm. right? It's like
1: we're going to deliver this when we think it's ready. Um, So that was a good one. So, how do you think that has shaped the way that you work? Like, is is what you read in there what you live today?
0: Yeah, I think I don't I don't know if it's necessarily like shaped my day to day, but I think at the time it just unlocked like a level of like, okay, this is there is a way that people think about this differently. And there's a reason why this company has been so successful and it ties back to the whole, you know, managing for customers, not internal goals or, or benchmarks. Yeah.
1: All
0: right, what do you got, number All two? Right.
1: This one's no surprise. It is the uh, it is one that we've touched on lately, but you think about it every day. It's okay. called Seeking Wisdom. From oh, Darwin to Munger. Yeah. Right. So this is the book that that I was so obsessed about that... Uh, inspired we named, the name, right? Inspired the name for this podcast, cool. right? And it's a book by Peter Bevlin. If you haven't read it or have it, you must purchase it now and uh, read it. It's kind of... It's a long read. It's it's not really like... It's kind of sections, you know, different teachings in it that you read over time. It's more a book that you pick up, read a little bit, put it down, uh, and then keep picking up throughout, throughout your life. A good coffee table book? Great coffee okay. table book, right? So this yeah. is a book to own. And Peter starts the book with a Confucius quote, and the quote is: "A man who has committed a mistake and doesn't correct it is committing another mistake."
0: That's like that is that could be like the that could be our description for this podcast.
1: Yeah, that's the very description for this podcast and everything that we write about and think about. And of course, the book goes into. And I found the book originally because it. Uh, because of Charlie Munger, someone that we talk about a lot mm-hmm. on this podcast, and goes in a lot into a lot of his teachings, but also others that you can learn from. So that's a great kind of coffee table book that you need to own. And uh, Dave doesn't have it yet, but he needs to get it. I can tell he doesn't have nah,
0: it. He does. I, he does not have it. Um, <laughs> all right. My second one. Read this last year for the first time. Short one, thirty pages. Mm-hmm. Managing oneself.
1: Oh, okay. That's a great Peter one. Peter Drucker. Uh, it's Talk a little
0: orange it. book we've talked about it on this podcast a bunch um
1: why do you like it
0: it this one unlocked like the biggest thing for me so there's a bunch of different lessons it's all about managing yourself mm-hmm. you know you can't really be effective as a manager until you know how to manage yourself yes but for me there was one line which was worth I don't know the book was 299 so it doesn't matter mm-hmm. um he talks about you know spend more time focusing on your strengths than worrying about trying to you know, make up for the things that you're not great at. So here's my, my, I'll use my personal example, right? Mm -hmm. For me, that could be, you know, writing, creating content, uh, email, copywriting, Mm -hmm. right? So I used to think that there was like this, this trend in marketing where like, you know, you need to be able to do everything in marketing. You need to be a master of analytics, a master of SEO, Mm -hmm. CRO, optimization, everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you do that, you know th- this book makes it sound makes it like you know focus more. It's it's harder for you to go from uh, having no skill in an area to being mediocre. Yep. Than it is from like
1: focusing on what you're good at and trying to be great. Absolutely, I love that. Yeah. Such a great book. That's why it's a book that we recommend internally here at Drift, and we yeah. give to people. And even ties back to simplify,
0: right? Like mm-hmm. out of all the things you can work on, yep. stick to this one thing. Exactly. Yeah. Simplify. Simplify. All right. Simplify. What's
1: your what What do you got? I have a book here that. Unlike my first two, probably won't stand the test of time because it, it's very current, okay. but it's a super exciting book and it's actually a book. I had some, we had some friends come up this weekend from, uh, from New York and old friends and they were, uh, we were talking about something and I went into my library and I gave, uh, my copy of this book as a gift to my fr- uh, friend of ours and it's a book called Bold, B-O-L-D, and it's written by Peter Diamantes. And uh, and basically the subtitles called how to go big, create wealth, and impact the world. Right? Why don't you?
0: Why is it going to last?
1: Uh, because it's it's talking about current trends, okay. right? And uh, and this is a super exciting book. You should pick up. Easy read. And uh, Peter is like the founder of the X Prize. He's like you know a doctor, a PhD, of uh, astrophysicist. He's like an amazing person. Uh, and but beyond all that. If you've never seen him speak, he has this ability to take all that really complicated stuff that we don't understand and break it down and simplify it. And he's also the Creative Singularity University uh, where he teaches people. And so this book, Bold, really talks about these trends. from, And these are the kind of trends that we think about at, at Drift that we're trying to, to build upon. Like we talk a lot about the trends of messaging, right? Mm-hmm. And that's something that he goes into. He talks about crowdfunding. He talks about... Um, All of the different uh, things that are happening in in AI and manufacturing and these trends that we need to kind of capture these trends. And these are going to be the things that propel us into the future. Mm -hmm. So it's all about if you want to think about like radical and like radical ideas and and moonshot kind of uh, projects, pick up this copy of uh, Bold by Peter Diamantes. Amazing speaker.
0: Also, don't like be in the car right now trying to write down all these books. I'll put them them all in the the show notes. All right. Last one. Uh, for me Let's is a book it. uh called Ogilvy on Advertising. Woo! This Damn. one this one is on my list because uh Uh-huh. you got me to go back and study all of the classics. Uh-huh. And, and this, was it worthwhile? It's, it's, it's all I've been reading. History. So, yeah, so I uh I just started like my the seventh book I've read about copywriting and marketing. Yeah. Um, And those books have, like, taught me more about marketing than than anything else. And this was the one that kicked it off. And what was so cool about reading this book was, damn, these were all lessons from, like, 1940, 1950. Yep. And they couldn't apply – they are so relevant to all the stuff that we're doing today. Yeah. And that was, like, the best lesson is, oh, this is books from 1950 and everything here is still relevant.
1: What's interesting, aside from the last book that I mentioned, Bull, like, all of the books that we that we've touched upon are books that think talk about history right mm-hmm. and the importance of learning lessons from things that have happened and repeated in history,
0: yeah, damn, I had something else I was going to say, but uh yeah, so that's 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 our book list so we'll we'll write up these six books for mm-hmm. you, uh, and I think we're going to do some more we'll do some more book reviews, but here here's the call to action for this for this show
1: what's that hit me
0: yeah. Tweet at us at Drift and tell us, like, give us a glint. It doesn't have to be three. What, what books have had the biggest uh, impact on you?
1: Oh man, I can't. I'm looking forward to seeing this. Yeah, we get. We've been list. getting a
0: lot more good stuff. Like yeah. people, people saying like, oh, "I read this book, it's
1: awesome." Or I want to, I want to put some stuff on my book list. I need some stuff. What are you reading right now, Dave? Put you on the spot.
0: Uh, I'm reading the Copywriter's Handbook. Wow, <laughs> that's deep. Yeah, it's. I I didn't. I wasn't gonna read it at first because it seemed like it was like a. One of those like kind of like encyclopedia-type yeah, books, yeah. like not a real book. Uh, but it's it it's good. It's so good. Yeah, it's so relevant. I keep taking notes because you know me. I make lists. What do you got?
1: Oh, uh-oh. a couple, I think. A couple. Yeah. <laughs> Here are the ones that, that I'm, I'm listening to. I'm glad you to. can remember. Okay. Yeah. Right. So I won't go into the ones that I'm reading physically, yeah. but I'm going to go into the ones that, I, that I'm... Wait, although, why do, oh,
0: first of all, why decide... Like, we've talked about this before, but... Why did you decide to, re- to listen to this one versus get it and read it?
1: Uh, some of these because they're just like entertainment, okay. and so I want to qualify them. Cool. And uh, others are that are more um, – I like reading some of these uh, – listening to some of these biographies uh, because they're usually long, longer, and I can listen to them in parts. And so um, I did read a, f- a really good book, current book, uh, fun book, I should say, uh, called Running Man. I finished that last week, I believe. And it's the story of a a guy who goes through addiction and then comes out and basically is obsessed with running. So it's a guy who's been running through the Sahara, running ultras, which are like 100-plus mile races. And so I've been – that was actually a pretty interesting book just about athletics. Yep. Uh, And then what I'm – Reading all at once here. These are all uh, at the same time as Grant Cardone's new book called "Be Obsessed or Be Average." And I know a lot that's of people, your
0: that's your guy. <laughs> that's my guy, Uncle G.
1: What's up? It's Uncle DC. Yep. Uh, and a lot of you are going to hate on Grant Cardone, but I think he, he has a good message underneath everything, and he makes me laugh. Uh, "Thinking Fast and Slow" by Daniel Kahneman. Wow, what a book! Yeah. read that three times. We got to do. We'll do one on that. We'll do we'll do yeah. a book review on that. I'm reading uh, "Titan." which is the story of John D. Rockefeller. Uh, great book. Uh, Competing Against Luck, by, which is a new book by Clayton Christensen. And two more. Even This I Get to Experience, which is a biography by Norman Lear, who's if you don't know him, he did like um, um, All in the Family and a lot of books, a lot of shows, I mm-hmm. should say, in the 70s. And last one is The Great Bridge, which is the, the telling of the building of the Brooklyn Bridge by David McCullough. Damn, all over the map. Yeah, okay. all over the map, and I'm reading a bunch more, which I won't get into. I'm actually reading Freud right now, which is amazing. This is this is that that that
0: list of books is exactly what we talked about. We did a podcast on like how to come up with better ideas. Yeah, that's that's your secret. That's massive. Six, idea six books right there. all across the map.
1: Yeah, bridges, building yeah. bridges, building building oil companies, uh, selling.
0: Let's go, let's go into this mindset thing. Cause we haven't, we talk about this a lot, but we haven't done a episode like where mm-hmm. we talk a lot about mindset. Um, and I saw you're reading, you got some stoicism uh, that you're I've following read, yeah, right now, stuff, yeah. you know, back, yeah. um, what, what is, what is your like kind of philosophy on, on mindset? Like if you, if you, if you had to, you know, start there
4: stress plus rest equals growth.
0: Yep. It's a section exactly. in my book yeah. okay.
4: and it's really how I try to live.
0: Stress yeah. plus rest equals growth.
4: Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which is, if you think about, I know we said we're not going to do physiology, we're going to do mindset, but let me just take a quick detour yeah, to we physiology. Can we yeah. can do both. Do you think about how you make a physiological muscle stronger? Yep. Like your bicep muscle on your arm. You have to stress it, right? You have to lift a weight that mm-hmm. breaks the muscle down and mm-hmm. tears it. Mm-hmm. But if you lift way too heavy of a weight... What happens you end up getting injured Injured. like you tear your bicep tendon Mm -hmm. If you lift like a two-pound weight, you could sit there all day. Nothing's gonna happen Mm -hmm. You have to find a weight that works your muscle just about to fatigue Embarrasses it but doesn't totally crush it. Mm -hmm. That's step one. That's like the sweet spot weight Step two is if you just lift that weight all day every day, Mm -hmm. you're gonna end up literally like literally burnt out Mm -hmm. So what you need to do is you need to find that weight that stresses the muscle to get a stimulus but then rest and recover in between sessions so the muscle gets stronger. And I think that that is a pattern that holds true for everything, for how to grow cognitively, how to grow creatively, how to grow emotionally, how to grow in a relationship, perhaps even how to grow a company. Mm -hmm. What do you like? What do you love?
1: I love it because uh, because something that we were talking about before we started to record was that the fascinating thing to me is that all these patterns are the same, right? And one of the things that we talk about at Drift, which is our the, our company is that the kind of our values like just us as a founding team is like is this like work hard play hard, right? It's not about like this, you know, false sense of balance, but it's like when we're here we're going to work hard, we're going to go for it, but equally we need to rest and
4: recover and we need to do that hard. So this is something that back to patterns like This is something that elite athletes have nailed, Mm -hmm. and I feel like people that have more elite cerebrals have not yet nailed. So what happens with athletes is you keep your hard days really hard and your easy days really easy. Mm -hmm. Stress, rest, growth. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you get stuck in this middle zone Mm -hmm. where your hard days are never that hard because they can't be because you didn't take your easy days easy. And that middle zone is where careers are ruined Mm -hmm. and you stagnate. Mm -hmm. So how I like to think about it, whether we're talking about athletes or like a corporate athlete or a creative, someone that works with their mind, is that too much stress without enough rest leads to injury, illness, burnout. Not enough stress, too much rest is complacency, stagnation. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, I think that you could scale this all the way up to how organizations function.
1: I totally agree. And what do you you see as the commonality now that you have clients that are, both athletes elite athletes and entrepreneur CEOs like what are there? over is there a hundred percent overlap is there just common patterns that you see
4: I think that the the most common pattern is in intrinsically motivated driven people mm-hmm. it's not about stressing more it's about holding them back yep and making sure that they that they respect the rest
1: so the rest part right yeah. they, they have the stress they're good at the stress the people right. that are coming to you right
4: yeah. in in, in, in in helping them reframe rest as not mm-hmm. being something that is separate from the work, but a part of the work. This is like, I think that's a subtle shift yeah. because like, if you think of rest, like I'm going to step away from work to like go on a day hike in Yosemite or like, I'm just tired. So I'm going to sleep 10 hours tonight, even mm-hmm. though I was supposed to do work. That is like, you're sacrificing work to rest. Mm-hmm. But if you shift your mindset and think of it in the stress plus rest equals growth, it's all a part of the same cycle and the same thing. So then that day hike in Yosemite isn't like a luxury of missing work. It's like odds are I'm going to have 10 creative thoughts on that hike (laughs) that are going to be the best thing for my work Mm -hmm. and I'm going to feel better. And if I feel better, I'll, I'll do better work.
1: And you know what a key part in there for me is that by flipping it, you're removing the guilt. Right. You're removing this guilt factor that that someone might have of like, oh, I'm skipping work to go to Yosemite, which guilt leads to more stress. So like they're piling on the
4: stress. Totally. And like I would just I would just ask, you know, both of you and and then I guess listeners like I know myself, I have had all of my best ideas, not while I've been actively working on the thing.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
4: My best ideas come to me when I'm on vacation, when I'm out for a run. Yep. When I'm just like chilling out. Mm-hmm. And it's not like I'm actively trying to problem solve. When I go on a run, I just let my mind go. Mm-hmm. But I solve problems that I literally for three weeks had been thinking about and could not solve. Yep. So I am like so convinced of the value of stepping away in mm-hmm. rest that like to me, not resting is sacrificing good work.
1: Totally. And, you know, the way I think about that is that or the way I interpret that is that the stress was... Both were equally important, right? The stress was important because it was kind of what got your brain thinking about this, right? And it got you thinking about this. But then the recovery gave you the space away from it to actually process something that you had been going through, right? It's not like if you only had rest... Right. And no active stress, right, that you would right. be coming up with these it, ideas. It, it's
4: interesting that you go there. So in the creativity research, um, the, the prevailing theory of how creativity works is exactly what you just said. Mm. So it's three stages. You have immersion, yep. which is you're actively problem solving, thinking about what you're working on at the whiteboard. You have incubation, which is now you've primed your brain. Yep. So you kind of let it sit. And then you have insight, which mm-hmm. is that aha moment. In a very micro level, this is why people tend to like have breakthrough thoughts in the shower because you've been working on something all day. Yeah, exactly, you step away, a, your subconscious mind turns on. Aha! Uh-huh.
1: It, it wasn't the shower. It no, was, and know, w- that we was talk about we talk it. this we talk about this
0: a lot. And one of the favorite uh, there's like this, you know, David Ogilvy, this old school copywriter, one of the best creative guys ever, and he and he has this thing where he's like the way the secret to like good ideas is like you stuff you you feed your brain with all that information, right? And then you unhook your subconsciousness, so like that could be you know you 're reading a ton of books, listening to podcasts, writing a lot you 're not actively thinking about that problem you 're just you 're constantly doing work and then when you 're playing golf on a Saturday morning, riding your mountain bike right work, working out, going for a run that 's when that idea hits you because you 've unhooked that subconsciousness but the stress part is feeding that brain. And that's why we talk about like learning so much Mm -hmm. and just consuming, you know, the the best people that we work with and the smartest people are like the ones who are always learning and always consuming information because that's when like the, that's when you unhook this ability to, to create ideas. I I know for me personally, I never read books. I never cared about any of that stuff. But in the last couple of years, I really, doubled down on learning he pushed me to 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 read a lot and learn a lot and now like it's never been easier for me i feel like i have more good ideas now than i ever have Mm -hmm. and that's a competitive advantage and what i notice is it's because i'm reading all the time and learning all the time that when we're in the uber on the way over here i'm like oh yeah what if we did this thing and that's that's a direct product of that right yeah
4: yeah totally you're priming your brain and then Mm -hmm. when you step away it just does its thing does its thing
0: All right, so how to come up with better ideas. Uh, Wanted to do this episode because you and I were trading a couple messages the other day. And I said to you, there is a direct relationship between how much I'm reading and... Like, you know, listening to podcasts and articles and books, and how much I'm able to create things. Yeah, and like the quality you of your ideas. The quality of the ideas. Like, yeah. if you look at anything I've written or anything I've done, there's a direct, like, I was reading something, I was deep in a book, deep in something that's related to that. And you said, boom, you unlocked, congratulations, you earned a point, you unlocked a secret.
1: Man, Dave just unlocked a level, <laughs> right? And I had to point that out to him. Yeah. So he just took it up a notch. And it's something that is. Man, it takes a while to figure this out, yeah. and Dave figured it out quick.
0: I wish I knew earlier, but but like we always say, there's stages. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I'm You I weren't ready, Grasshopper. Um. All right, here's this week's uh, fan love shout-out of the week. Uh, this is from Doji Style. DC and what? DG are Doji bringing Style? immense value to the podcast world. I've been designing products for 15 years and never come across such a rich honey hole of information Not the regurgitated nonsense that you find on every email list, either. Real ideas that are often unique and outside the norm of the herd. I hope you guys never quit despite the lack of ROI on
1: this project. We got ROI. (laughs) Hey. I love it. I love the fan love. Thank you, Doji. Two things we need. One, leave that five-star review. Actually, go check for me and see if they allow six-star reviews now. But if they don't, leave the five-star review. Uh, for you for the uncle and then number two we need help finding someone someone left a comment last week and shouted out Amy (laughs) yeah and only left his his or her screen name email us email us we need to know Yeah, because you won something you won something. I yeah. need to get you the gift. E- Don't email him. Email me yeah, dg at
0: drift dot com. I'll make sure it gets emailed. Yeah. We need to give you the prize that is rightfully yours. Yeah.
1: And they mentioned Amy, and I believe they might have been from uh, from Switzerland or Sweden. That. Let's get it going. And We're somebody, international, bro. Uh, this
0: is, somebody said you quite literally can't spend fifteen to twenty minutes of your week doing anything that will have a bigger impact on your business. We must have poked at something with this ROI thing. Cause this person also said this podcast. Uh, this podcast ROI has been exponential for me. <laughs>
1: God, that's they awesome. Love it. All right, keep learning, keep growing.